0: That fun night. Good morning, y'all. Welcome again. We're excited to see you guys here. It's been so cool seeing new faces and faces return. And um, this is just, it's been an exciting season for the church. And um, I'm honored to be a part of the teaching team here. Again, my name is Lauren May. Um, I get to come up here and teach every now and then um, and just share what God has been doing um, and what's on my heart. So sure I'm excited to share with you guys today. We are picking back up with the series. It is no longer Lent, um, (laughs) but we started this series before Lent, and we're going to wrap it up. We've been looking at the Lord's Prayer. We're going to work on it for a couple more weeks. And today I have the very easy task of talking about um, forgiveness, right? That part in the Lord's Prayer where you're like jamming out, worshiping God, and then you're like, oh, wait, now it's me, now it's me, right? Forgive me my debts as we forgive our debtors, right? So God calls us to action in in this prayer. And some translations have a different word there, right? You may have heard forgive us our sins or trespasses or debts, and all those words actually have a slightly different connotation, and I think we'll get to explore those today. But, you know, when we're talking about debt, we're talking about like a really physical um, reality of debt, and we're talking about the emotional debts we do against each other. And um, that word trespasses, right? The idea of trespasses. There's a sin, but there's also a breach of trust, right? So when you trespass against someone, you can't trespass against someone you don't know. Um, you're trespassing against someone who trusted you, um, and now you've broken that trust in that moment. And yet, God still calls us to. Um, we we ask God to forgive our debts, and then we also are prepared to forgive our debtors. And so that's what we're going to look at today. And you know, forgiveness is such a normal part of our Christian vocabulary. Right? Like, we know we forgive, that we, we've been forgiven, and so we forgive. And, and we're so used to it as part of what we believe. I think sometimes we forget what an unnatural reaction forgiveness actually is, right? Okay, so for example, okay, I, we, Derek and I are both very big fans of Easter candy, okay? Like, I think it is the height of all seasonal candies. You can argue with me all you want, but, you know, Peeps are kind of down here, and then you've got, like, your bunny Reese's. And then you've got like your Robin's eggs, and then this like small Cadbury eggs with the chocolate, and the candy, are you guys with me on this? Like is this, and then of course, the apex of all Easter candy the Cadbury cream egg. Like there is just nothing better. I know this is highly controversial, right? Some people are like, what's inside it? This is weird. But I cannot imagine any better candy than the Cadbury cream egg. And it only comes out once a year here, right? Like there is only a short season where you have your Cadbury eggs. So obviously the moment it comes on sale, we stock up on our Easter candy and the Cadbury eggs come in a four pack, right? So obviously two for me, two for you. So, I had eaten my one Cadbury egg, and he was craving something sweet after dinner, and I go, and the box is there but there is no Cadbury egg, right? And in this moment, there are two options, okay? So obviously the logical option is Derek gets in the car, goes to Dollar General and gets another Cadbury cream egg, right? That is that is he has he has done the debt and so he should then absorb the debt. But <laughs> but the reaction of forgiveness is I absorb the debt, which means I don't get what is owed to me, right? That's what forgiveness is. It says, you don't pay me back. I take on the debt that you owe me. Now, I will wrap up this story to say, somehow the egg had just like fallen out of the box and was like in the back. And so we found the egg, our marriage was restored. We moved on. But again, I think the point is, is that forgiveness is not natural. And yet we are called again and again to be a people of forgiveness right? And so today, I want to explore this. I want to explore the idea of forgiveness. And first, we're going to look at what did this mean in Israel? How did they understand the concept of forgiveness? And then I want to look at what did Jesus do to blow people's minds, open up categories and model for us what forgiveness should look like? And then how did the early church work that out among themselves? And then what should we do as a people of forgiveness today? Right, so let's talk about Israel, right? and in, in the nation of Israel, the people were given a set of laws, and there were actually two ways that people processed debt or transgression. Okay, one was through atonement, and one was through purification. And atonement is what we typically think of when we think of like paying back a debt, right? So a debt has been done, so there needs to be some sort of recompense for that wrong done. And usually it's like there's some sort of double payment, there's some sort of payback, right? There's this idea that, okay, we need to fix this and it needs to be a big enough deal that you, like, won't do it again, right? So this is what we think of when we think of an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, right? A lot of these laws are to say, okay, there's something that needs to be paid back here. But what was really interesting as I was thinking about this, um, really digging in and studying this, is that there was also this idea of purification, okay so the 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 wrong has been repaid, but because the wrong has been done, there is this relational vandalism that has occurred that shatters the safety that we felt with each other before the wrong was done right and and I think we feel this right even if if it 's fixed, like there's still this sense that I just don't trust you anymore right and and that that sense that um It it does something to the air, to the land, is almost what the Israelites believed. And so once a year, what the priests would do is say, we're going to cleanse the land of this relational vandalism so that we're going to clear the space so that full reconciliation can come, right? Because I think what we realize is that Forgiveness and reconciliation are slightly different things, right? Forgiveness says, I'm going to release you of this debt, but reconciliation says, I feel safe with you again. I feel like I can trust you again. I feel like we're ready to move on from this and rebuild what we had before. But I think what's fascinating is that if we look at the relationship between God and his people they didn't often reconcile themselves to God, right? It's full of examples of this one-sided forgiveness where God says, you know what? I got this. Like, I got this debt. Like, I'm going to absorb this debt. But then the people fail to accept that purification and continue, continue to vandalize and, and oppress the, the world around them. Um, I think it's interesting, like the more you become a student of the Old Testament, I think we realize that the things that make God angry aren't the things that we stereotypically think they are, right? It's a really common misconception outside and even inside the church that God's anger has to do with like bad Choices of personal morality, right? Like God's watching out. We li- we recently got hit by lightning, so there's a, like it's a very dramatic, right? This moment of like God is waiting, like ah, uh, like everything's gonna fall apart if we don't, um, if we don't do what God wants us to do, and uh, we think of that like lightning bolt God, right? But if we really read the Old Testament, I think what we'll see is that most of God's wrath is pointed at um, transgressions. That harm those that don't have a way to defend themselves, right? Uh, and this is like when you start reading the Old Testament, you see that God is deeply concerned not just about the choices that we make about ourselves, but the way we treat others. And again, particularly those who uh, who don't have a way out when they're treated poorly. Um, we're going to look in Isaiah. Um, and I love so uh, right away in Isaiah. Isaiah is a book that's full of God's desire for justice. The desire to be reconciled reconciled with his people and his people to be a people of, of, of justice. And this passage, this section in the Bible, you know, like they have little headers that kind of break up the passage. And obviously those weren't in the original text, but it kind of gives us a gist. This one is called God has had enough, right? So we know that God is over it right here. And here's what he says. He says, what makes you think I want all your sacrifices, says the Lord? I am sick of your bird offerings of rams and the fat of fattened cattle. I get no pleasure from the blood of bulls and lambs and goats. When you come to worship me, who asked you to parade through my courts with all your ceremony? Stop bringing me your meaningless gifts. The incense of your offerings disgusts me whoa, whoa, like, God, this is how we're supposed to make right, right? We're, we're supposed to do these sacrifices, and, and we're supposed to worship you so that you'll be pleased. But God says, I want something in your heart right now. And so he continues in verse 15. He says, when you lift up your hands in prayer, I will not look. Though you offer many prayers, I will not listen. And this is why, for your hands are covered with the blood of innocent victims. Wash yourselves and be clean. Get your sins out of my sight. Give up your evil ways. He says, learn to do good, seek justice, help the oppressed, defend the cause of orphans, fight for the rights of widows. And you cannot read the Bible, you cannot read the Old Testament without hearing this again and again, the cry of God's heart. He says, the posture of your heart matters when we come for forgiveness. When we come to atone, when we come to purify the land, it matters how we care for others and where your heart is at. And I think... uh, It can feel a little hopeless, but I also think there's hope here, right? There's hope because we see that one solution to the pain of transgression and the brokenness of sin is to help those who are having trouble helping themselves. Not to earn, right? We're not saying this is how we earn forgiveness or we earn salvation, but the healing of the land, the healing of relational vandalism, the healing of the pain of the wrongs that people have done is in how we care for others, how we treat those who are having a hard time taking care of themselves. And the reason I think this is so critical and I, I really wanna make this point is because when we think about our work, of the work of the kingdom, the work of the gospel, the work of forgiveness, this, getting this is central to that, right? This is not, we work on forgiveness and then we work on all these other things. This is the work of forgiveness. This is the work of reconciliation and healing um, our land. I think uh, it would be fair to say that there is a perception of the church that there is a big dichotomy in the American church right now. Right? Like, I, we work it out. We try. We try to work through it. But the reality is, is that we often see a, a rift in the church between, you know, we need to work on personal holiness and we need to work on social justice. Right? And people say. I'm more about this or I'm more about that. And I'm going to look for a church that's about this or I'm going to look for a church that's about that. And and we put uh, branches of the church in opposition to the, each other. And yet what we see here, what we see in atonement and purification, what we see in the cry of God's heart is that central to the message of Christianity is the fact that the way we care for each other and the way we desire forgiveness and desire to forgive others are explicitly linked with each other. The fruit of our inner righteousness is the care and compassion we show each other particularly, right? Particularly those who are less powerful or privileged or advantaged than we are. Right. So if we are want to be a people of forgiveness, if we want to be a people who is healing our community, we have to care for one another. And so it shouldn't surprise us when Jesus comes on the scene and is like, I'm taking forgiveness out of the temple, off the altar, and into the streets, right? This is what God keeps saying over and over again. This shouldn't be radical. God's saying that you must obtain justice as you sacrifice to me in the temple. We, we, make, we make our hearts clean by caring about others. And yet, what do we see the religious say, right? Again and again, as Jesus says, your sins are forgiven, People say, uh, excuse me, who do you think you are? Like, why are you doing that? Right, and this is, a, this is constant. The, the, the uh, religious leader constantly following him and are angry about this. And so in Luke, we hear the story of Jesus healing a man lowered through the roof, right? You guys know this story. Jesus is teaching. There's a bunch of people there. These guys are like, we need our friend healed. And so they climb up onto the roof. They open up the reeds or however the roof is built and lower their friend down. And what's the first thing Jesus does? It's not to heal, right? God looks at this man and says, you're forgiven. And so we see this again and again that his first response isn't physical healing, but forgiveness. He, he forgives before he heals or takes action. And To me, this emphasizes the significance of what he saw as his work, bringing the kingdom first through spiritual healing and then through physical or social healing. And yet, the reaction we see from the scribes and Pharisees shows us that uh, we're not into this. This This is a little scandalous. So if we look at the story in Luke, it says, Seeing their faith, Jesus said to the men, Young man, your sins are forgiven. But the Pharisees and teachers of religious law said to themselves, who does he think he is? That's blasphemy. Only God can forgive sins. And Jesus knew what they were thinking, and so he asked them, why do you question this in your hearts? Is it easier to say your sins are forgiven or stand up and walk? So I will prove to you that the Son of Man has the authority on earth to forgive sins. And then Jesus turned to the paralyzed man and said, stand up, pick up your mat, and go home. Now, one thing I really want to emphasize here, it's a little bit of a tangent, but I think it's an important one, is think about who Jesus calls himself, right? He calls himself the son of man, okay? And if you, I, I remember reading this and being like, is he, like, not saying he's God? Like, aren't I a daughter of man? Or, you know, it sounds very like Narnia, right? Sons of Adam, daughters of Eve, all that. But what, God, what Jesus is doing here is he is claiming his authority in this moment, Okay, so if you guys have read Daniel, in Daniel chapter 7, Daniel gets this vision of the ancient of days who is God, right? So there's God with all authority and power, and then he sees a a vision of this guy coming down on a cloud. It's like amazing, and, and God gives all power and authority to that figure who comes out of the clouds. And what is that person's name? That person is the son of man, right? So when God, or when Jesus slash God, when Jesus is walking around calling himself the son of man, he's not finding a fun way to refer to himself as a person, right? He's saying, it's me, y'all. Like, I am the one with dominion and power and authority, and I'm going to use it first to forgive sin. And so he says, the work of the kingdom, the dominion of the father, the anticipated reign that the Israelites were waiting for of the son of man was a time of forgiveness, A time to say your sins are forgiven and the kingdom of God has come so you can do his work. The sign of God's authority, the sign of the most important thing to him is that we know that we are forgiven people. And so the people in the early church would work out what this looked like in their community, right? They would say, okay, like the kingdom is about forgiveness. So I gotta figure out how I'm gonna forgive others, right? So, um, so what would they do, okay? So the early church gave us two symbols of forgiveness. They gave us the symbol of baptism. So we can say once and for all, we have been forgiven of our sins and we walk with clean hands and clean hearts, right? And then there's also this practice that we get to do week after week of the Lord's Supper where we say, let's remember what God has done for us. Remember that we are forgiven people and think about how we can then forgive others, And in these powerful symbols, again, we see that once and for all, our sin has been taken care of. We are forgiven. We come as God's beloved children. And I think this is so critical because we have the, some of us have the perception of ourselves that we're constantly trying to clean ourselves up, right? I'm constantly trying to, I'm constantly a prodigal son. I'm constantly messing up. I'm constantly coming to God. And yet he says, I've I've taken care of it. Right, you're good. You come to the get, come to the table as a welcome guest. Right, um, we this series we've been using some of N. T. Wright's work to do this. And uh, the book that we've been based on. It's a great book. It's only a couple of hours on audiobook. So if you're like, man, I want to dig in more to the Lord's Prayer, I encourage you to look that up. But he described it, he says, "You come as a welcome guest to the table, but we have to sure, have to be sure we wash our hands and deal with a couple of things first. right? So there's a couple of things we need to clear up, but you are welcome at this table. And so in these two symbols, we practice those two things, right? We say, I'm a welcome guest. And as we go to the Lord's prayer, we order supper, we wash our hands. The early church believed deeply in the power of forgiveness. Um, This is how, again, N.T. Wright described it. He said, if you didn't live forgiveness, you were denying the very basis of your own new existence. So since the work of the kingdom was the work of forgiveness... If we weren't a forgiving people, if I weren't accepting the forgiveness that I've been given and extending that to others, then the kingdom is not here, right? I mean, this is, this is what Jesus spent all his time doing was forgiven sins. And this looked incredibly practical for the early church. You know, we read about they had no debts among each other. And I don't think they were necessarily setting up like a new, I don't know. But what they were doing was they were saying, we, don't, we believe in forgiveness so we don't, we're not indebted to one another, and that was a practical reality for them. I think what is so powerful about the Lord's Prayer is that our prayer and our actions are explicitly connected, right? God says as we receive forgiveness, we extend forgiveness. And so there's an opportunity there for our prayer to take feet, to go into the world and, and, and do something. And so when we claim that blessing, it means we're called to also live by that blessing, Again, not to earn forgiveness, but to dwell in the reality of it, to say, this is what I believe about the kingdom, and so this is who I am. But what are we supposed to do about this? Because that's hard, right? Like, forgiveness is not easy. I mean, some things, okay, we move on, it's okay, but y'all, there are debts that people have against us that hurt and continue to hurt, and to say you're forgiven, it's hard. It's hard. You know, a few weeks ago, uh, our, our Pastor Allen um, from Lubbock came and he reminded us of the story of the generous ruler, right, in Matthew chapter 18. And we're not, I'm not going to go through the whole story, but we remember in that story, the, the man ab- owed an absurd amount of money, right? If we read that, we'd be like, okay, this is the GDP of a, of a wealthy nation. There's no way that this could ever be forgiven. And what does the ruler say? you're forgiven. It's done. The debt is repaid. And then he goes out to a guy who owes him a couple hundred bucks, a couple days worth of wages, and he refuses to forgive it. Right? And we should look at that story and we should be appalled. Like, dude, <laughs> this, it's okay. You can, he can get you the couple hundred bucks. There was no way you were ever going to be able to repay what you were supposed to repay the king. And then, of course, we're called to then examine our own hearts and say, well, what about this exists in my heart, right? What day's wages am I holding out against someone? And I would say right now, maybe, like, that's it for you. Like, the message is, you know what? I need to, I need to move on. Like, this is, this, is, this is eating me up inside. I'm holding out this debt against someone. And maybe all that person owes you is a day's wages. So maybe it's, I need to forgive. I need to stop talking about them. I need to, to just move on. But in this moment, I think, when we realize that there are things that have been done that truly, truly hurt us, we face a dilemma. Right? Because we realize, you know, I'm so glad that God has forgiven me, but I'm really frustrated that he's allowing this other debt to go totally unpaid. Or that, that he paid it, because it's not deserved, right? Um, and that's hard. I think to say that it's easy and that it can just happen right away, God does that. like That's the power that he has. But I I think we have to affirm that it's not always that simple for us. And so I think it's important before we prepare our hearts to say I'm going to let this go is that we define what forgiveness isn't. Okay. Um, I think what we've seen in current history or the current church, there's documentary on documentary, there's article after article of churches' abuses of power, um, ignoring or silencing Christ for help, coping with years of mistreatment that people are no longer want to be a part of the church because they've been told that what's happening is something they should just move on and that they should just forgive. And this was something that I struggled with as I was like, man, I know that there are debts that are easy to say, well, not easy, but easier to say I'm gonna move on from, but there are some that just feel insurmountable. And I use the work um, of a biblical scholar named Dr. Tim Mackey. He does a lot of uh, work with the Bible Project. It's basically his thing, but he distills stuff down really easily. But one of the things that I've learned listening to his work is that it's so important to become a good student of the Bible. Um, if we take ourselves seriously as Christians, we, we have got to study God's word. And what I think is so um, exciting is that often what we see is that God has the answer to some of our questions literally on the same page. And things that seem contrary to each other, like moving on from a serious debt or, or getting out of a situation where there's a serious debt, can go along with forgiveness are actually complementary to one another. So one of the things that you notice, and if if you pulled up that Matthew 18 in your Bible, um, verses 21 through 35 are that amazing story of forgiveness, right? But immediately before that, so verses 15 through 20 are the verses about the biblical process for cutting off a relationship due to that continued transgression against another believer, so, I just think it's amazing that radical forgiveness is also partnered with sometimes it's okay to make sure you're safe, right? And, um, it starts with, so the, the, this process, and some of you guys are more familiar with it, but what's great about this process is it starts with going to that brother, right, and saying, go your, go, show him that fault in private or her. Um, you know, Greek is gender neutral, so it can go both ways. But it says, if he listens to you, you have gained your brother, right? So you tell the person, hey, this hurt, like, I'm really upset you took my Cadbury egg, right? Um, usually it's a little more serious than that. But you, you, you confront your, your brother or sister with the sin that's happened. And then it doesn't say keep going to them, keep telling them, you know, keep moving on. It says, no, get one or two people and go talk to them again, right? If this continues, if there's not a moment of, I'm sorry, this has got to change, I'm going to stop, this is going to, then, then you say, let's go get a couple people. And it says, because on the testimony of two or three witnesses, every matter may be confirmed, right? So we use our community to help us. And then if there's reconciliation, awesome, like God has worked, God has moved, and yet if it doesn't change, then it says it's time to go to seek the aid of the church. It's time to get your church community to help take care of you, right? And then if the person refuses, that relationship is, is broken. It is okay to say that, okay, this, this is enough, enough is enough. And I think what's so cool, this is a verse that so often we use in other ways, but right here, this, that passage concludes with a verse, for where two or three have gathered together in my name, I am there in your midst. And so what the conclusion we get to draw here is that you never have to be alone in a room with a person again and yet still forgive them as a follower of Christ. God says we should be a community that takes care of each other that makes sure people are safe. And we can do the power, we can do the work of forgiveness. You know, the greater work of reconciliation, that's something that takes two people, right? We've we've said before that forgiveness and reconciliation work differently in our lives. Because reconciliation means someone is ready to move on, someone is ready to change. And yet, our Father loves us enough to want want to offer freedom and safety through the power of a community who takes care of its people and to radically change hearts through the work of forgiveness. (laughs) That is the power of the kingdom and a community. That's how we work out the kingdom with each other, being willing to listen to the voices of those who have traditionally been ignored. Forgiveness is not forgetting, right? We think we've heard forgive and forget, like move on. And yeah, maybe like for a day's wages, that's something that we can do. But often to forget is to minimize or ignore wrong has, that has been done. And God says, I want to work through that wrong. Yes, the end is reconciliation. Yes, we believe that God can reconcile us to each other. But God also says, our people should be safer. Our people should be loved and taken care of. And I can change your heart. Um, I really liked the way that Tim Mackey defined forgiveness. He said, Forgiveness, again, is not minimizing or forgetting, but a deep change in your heart towards how you see this person someone with humanity and someone worthy of at least Christ's love. You know, the Lord's Prayer doesn't say if you have a hard time forgiving, if you struggle to forgive if it hurts a little bit to forgive. Right after the Lord's Prayer, he says, if you forgive those who sin against you, your heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you refuse to forgive others, your Father will not forgive your sins. Right? The refuse there. Not if it takes a long time or if you struggle with it. But it starts with the reality that we are people who have been forgiven a great debt. And that we're called to open our hearts to allow Jesus to begin to forgive that debt. Because the reality is we still live with that relational vandalism of sins. You know, we, we deal with it in our own hearts. I think sometimes forgiveness isn't necessarily another person. Often it's the harm that we inflict upon ourselves, right? Our lack of willingness to forgive what God has said, I've taken care of that. This is done. Constantly making ourselves that prodigal child saying, God, I got to come back to you. And when God says, you're my beloved, like you're my child, we, we, can, we, can, we can move on from this. Often it's the relational vandalism of sin caused by others, the harm done that makes us feel unsafe, uncared for, unprovided for, you know, that causes us to stand at resistant siblings and saying, God, I don't think I'm ready for this. I don't think I'm ready to accept this. And we deal with the relational vandalism of sin in the world, this brokenness of uncaring systems, environmental decay, national selfishness, a world full of pig pins that we can wallow in. And yet God says, Come to my table says you're already clean we need some help clearing away what others have done but this is the long-term work of the kingdom to restore people to himself and to restore this world to him